You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Brave new radio. We got managers, producers, record labels, concert promoters galore. Wednesday at 8 p.m. Actually, go to Brave New Ready. Oh no, that's what we are. Oh no, it's Music Biz 101 and more. I'm your Professor David Kirk Philp along with Dr. Esteban. Marconi Emeritus. That is right. He is Emeritus. By the time our listeners are listening to this, Dr. Esteban Marconi has retired from the University of William Patterson, but instead he will be, he will never retire from this show. He will just no longer be paid for a regular gig from the state. You get the hook. That's right. He's out. They're hooking him out. All done. And uh, we have with us today, Javier Castro, getting his MBA in music and entertainment industry management. Hello, Javier. How are you today? Hello. Very good. Very is- happy to be here. I bet you are. You're smiling. You're so happy. We're happy to have you, and we're happy to have our listeners who should go to musicbiz101wp.com to sign up for the newsletter so they always know who's coming up on the radio show in the podcast. Speaking of the podcast, they should go to iTunes and SoundCloud and listen to it, find it, but not in that order. They should follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook at MusicBiz101WP. Dr. Esteban, should we be giving thanks at this moment in time? Yes, we should. Let us give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Readers Down, St. Vincent and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. You're going to go to VB. Did you say hyphen? <laughs> that is some great radio there. Hyphen, CPA.com when you're ready. And we want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. They, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped professionals all over the world, all sorts of professionals, even amateur professionals, manage their investments, plan after retirement when you, you specifically, listener, when you are thinking of building a bridge to your financial future, you want to think about the Forefront Group and you want to go to Christine.oi. They at Forefront.com. 
leave the last toy off for savings. Which we would always do. It's almost not worth bringing up. We should also mention the University of William Patterson's music and entertainment industry undergrad and graduate MBA programs are considered by a fellow named Bill Board to be the best, if not amongst, amongst the best in the United States of America, as well as Canada, uh, Mexico, and portions of Puerto Rico. And um, <laughs> you agree with me, Dr. Esteban, that we're the best? See. Si. See, that is right. Thank you for speaking my native tongue. And Javier, we have an incredibly wonderful guest with us on the line, on the Zoom. How are you Dan Pearson, how are you? Nice how are you? So nice to meet you guys. Thank you for having me. I appreciate okay. it. Yes. Um, for our listeners um, who don't have the uh, same option as us to see you on Zoom right now, Dan, it is very cool. Over your left shoulder, one of my favorite albums of all time, there's a photo of Billy Joel, 50, that's 52nd Street, correct? Yeah, 52nd yes. Street. Yeah, yeah. What did you do with 52nd Street and William Joel? Oh, man, so that's a good story. Um, starts in the beginning of my record career, but I didn't do anything with that album, but what I did with Billy Joel was, my, I don't know if you're ready for this story yet, but I'll tell you, my, my first day as an intern at Columbia Records, I didn't know what to expect. I walk into Columbia, Someone walks over to me who happened to be the president of Columbia at the time, uh, Will Botwin and Charlie Walk and those guys, walk over to me with a stack of records and say, and one, that being one of them, and CDs and say, Billy Joel's staying across the street. I want you to go over, go up to his room. He's staying at the penthouse. Tell him that you're coming from here. Get all these signed and be back here within the next 20 minutes. And I was like, I grew up on Long Island. So I, was, I listened to every Billy Joel album my whole life. I was a huge Billy Joel fan. And I didn't even, I didn't even know, I was like, is this a joke? Is this really, am I supposed to do this? Like, what are you talking about? So I take everything, I go over there and I go to the front desk. I didn't even know what to say. I'm like, I'm here to see Billy Joel. And they said, where are you from? I told them where I was from. They sent me in an elevator. I go up to the penthouse and no one's there. So I'm standing there with a bag of stuff. I'm standing there where I'm guessing is like Billy Joel's penthouse. No one's there. I'm walking around looking for him. And he's in the shower. And he comes out of the bathroom in a towel and says, what are you doing here? <laughs> so I was like, I couldn't even tell you how, I mean, you can imagine how awkward it was and how, but I was so excited. My adrenaline was going. It was, it was so interesting. So he was really kind to me. He obviously said, like, give me a minute. He got all, you know, together. There was a desk in the room. I laid everything out. He signed everything for us. I started talking to him and asking questions. Like my brain was going, my, you know, 100 miles a minute. And he was really gracious and signed everything. I came back and I asked him if I can take one album for myself. And they let me take it. And that was the first memorabilia that ever got signed in, in my music career. Yeah. That's we had um, somebody from AGI, Artist Group International, his uh, agent agency. Um, on our show earlier today. Oh, awesome. Yeah, he's been with them since he started, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's incredible. I mean, his music, obviously, like, you know, like I said, Cold Spring Harbor growing up was a huge album for me, 52nd Street. I mean, all those like, early albums, The Glass House, and, you know, uh, were my favorites. And it, just to meet him was such a cool experience. And um, really, I went home that day, I remember, and telling my mom the story, and she was just kind of like, didn't really know what to say. And that, that was the start of me being like, okay, I don't know exactly where this is going to go, but I know I want to have a career in the, in the record business. You know, it was just exciting. Very big start. Yeah, it was a cool start. 
the cool. And then, and then like the next day I came back and was expecting the same thing, but that didn't happen for a long time. <laughs> it was a lot different. It was a lot of stuffing envelopes and mailing things and going to the cleaners for people and, you know, a lot of intern stuff, but that certainly set it up, set it up. Right. All right. Well, I, well, we didn't set this up at all because I jumped right in and said, something. Yeah. so uh, Javier, why don't you just give a two, you know, two sentence blurb about who Dan is and then you can start asking your questions. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, for what I know, Dan, is, it's been in the, in the business for about 20 years, right? Yeah. And you started like a DJ when you were 12. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how it was when you started? Like, sure. Yeah, so um, let's see. So I started, I always loved music growing up. I always loved music. I A friend of mine who was a little bit older than I was, um, I was in junior high and he was in high school. His parents bought him, you know, some turntables and some records and he started DJing and doing some events for some people in school um, and asked me if I wanted to come along. And I started coming along to events. I got really familiar with using the equipment. I got really into the music and kind of like staying on top of what music was coming out. And he and I decided to start a company and it turned into what at the time it took a few years, but it was one of the biggest uh, mobile DJ entertainment companies on Long Island at the time. And I really used my, you know, being in school to advertise and promote. I mean, we did every Sweet 16 in school. We did our own proms. We did our own, you know, homecoming dances. We did bar mitzvahs and, you know, everything that I could do and advertise while I was in school, we did. Um, we turned it into a pretty big wedding business. And um, it did really well. And when I got to college, I we sold that business. He went off and started a different business. But, you know, I was really interested, getting more interested in radio um, more interested in like, you know, a little bit more of deeper into the business. And we sold that company. I started going to school. I went to Adelphi University. Um, I majored in communications and got an internship at a radio station, WLIR, which was a big station on Long Island at the time. Um, and that really was kind of my first break into the radio and records part of the business. And then from there, I was at, you know, I really wanted, after a while, like, I really wanted to be on the radio. Like, that was my goal. So I started as, like, an intern at that radio station with the goal of getting on the radio. And, you know, I started in overnights. I started coming in after, after uh, you know, classes and that sort of stuff. And then that station, LIR, was launching a, a branch off, the station 98.5, which is, like, a syndicated rock station. Mm -hmm. And I was doing board hopping, and they let me go on air. And that was really my first break and kind of like being on the air. And I would see all the, you know, artists and the reps and come into the station and was really interested then in the record part of the business. And that's where I then was able to, you know, transition to get my first internship at Columbia and probably a good place to take a breath. But, um, but that was kind of like the start of my record record career. Yeah. And that was happening right as I graduated college. So I, um, I was on the radio for a little bit. I still DJed. I was DJing in all the nightclubs in New York City and Long Island and still pretty heavily into DJing. Um, got my job on radio, but then my first internship. And then before I graduated, I actually got a job at Columbia Records. So I knew going at, you know, out of school before I graduated, I had something secured, which I knew was really special. But years later, now, I really realize how special that was to before I even graduated 
to know I had something secured and locked in and also at such a wonderful, you know, prestigious label that really launched my side of my record career. Mm-hmm. Around what year was this? So I interned, I graduated in 2003. So I interned about two years before and then I interned for two years and then got the job. It really started in like 2003. So it was also an interesting time because it was right post Napster, right when iTunes was coming aboard and uh, physical was endangered, I guess. Yeah. Streaming was starting, right? Yeah, it was, it was a really you know, weird time. Looking back, it's a really good point. I mean, it was a really big transitional time in the business. I mean, in, in high school and college, I was, you know, on Napster and LimeWire and probably other ones I'm forgetting. Like every LimeWire. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd like set your list up and let it stream for like 15 hours while you're out of the house and, you know, to, to download music. So when I got there, it was kind of, that was still going on, but it was kind of the end of that. I remember there was a few different um, things that Sony was making, not the MP3 player, but it was like one of those types of like devices to kind of, you know, compete with streaming. Um, but yeah, it was, it was the transition from a lot of sales and, you know, people buying records and albums to just streaming music, which was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Buying it on iTunes. I remember, yeah, that was a big thing. Like buying it for 99 cents or $1.99 was a big transition. And then I think actual streaming, right. was like later, it was later than iTunes, but. Right. Yeah. yeah I was great. with uh, universal at the time and universal and Sony, I remember, uh, created a company called press play which right. to be the, I can't remember if it was streaming or downloads, but yeah, it, yeah. it was probably downloads. And um, it, yeah, and it not, didn't, didn't happen because it only had um, 40% of the music catalog, you know, didn't have Warner, right. didn't have any indie stuff, you know, so. Yeah. It's funny you use the term download. That's the right term, but I totally, I think that term is, I've completely forgot that term. I just associate <laughs> downloading with streaming now but you're right that it was downloading and itunes and then streaming came years later i guess i mean it's really interesting yeah because the industry didn't like downloads because it had gone the single format but really didn't like streaming at first because um the uh, royalties for downloads were still closer to the cd royalty than they have been for streaming and now they love streaming just because streaming has brought the industry recorded industry back right right Totally. I actually thought I had some CD singles next to me. I don't, but I remember that going to the store and loading up on all the, uh, loading up on all the CD singles. I had so many CD singles. I mean, books and books, books of them. I still have a lot of them because I still do, you know, I DJ from time to time and I have, um, I used to have technique 1200, like rec actual record players that I would use, but I sold those, but I still have, um, you know, CD, um, pioneer. It's like CDJ 1200s. I think it is or 800, but there are CD players that you can mix the CDs on. So I keep a lot, like I like the physical product. I have a lot of records to play on my own to enjoy in the house, but it's true. It's changed. I mean, the business, it's incredible how much it's, it's changed really. Right. Do you still use the turntable to do the mixing or do you use like a digital app? Yeah, I don't use the turntable to do the mixing. I have a turntable in my house just to enjoy music, but to mix, I use um, the CD players and I have, I have a mixer, a Pioneer mixer, and then you see oh. CD players. Oh, yeah. I see that 
you work with different in different places like Sony Music, Universal, Motown, Virgin Records, and that you have the opportunity to work with many great artists over there. I guess. Yeah. Which Which one would you say you have the greatest memories of working with? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, from those that you mentioned, I consider that the first half of my career, my record career, I consider the major label half. And then kind of the second label, the second part, I consider the independent label half. So I guess from the major label half, I would, I mean, there's so many great ones. I mean, there are great ones for different reasons. I mean, you know, John Mayer was a huge a huge story. I was a huge John Mayer fan and was there from the very beginning of those projects and records. Um, but it was very hard to get people like support him and believe in him. Um, so that was a really special experience. This band Switchfoot, this rock band Switchfoot, which is a pretty big rock band, was actually my first show that I covered. I flew in a tiny little plane to, to Buffalo to cover that show. So that one I always kind of think about. Um, Jessica Simpson was a pretty big one just because of how much that really took off with that the newlywed show um, and working that project. I mean, there were so many. You know, I got to work with, with Beyonce, which was really cool after Destiny's Child. Um, Just after Destiny's Child? When she was starting their, their solo career, right? Or did you work with Destiny's Child too? Well, I worked, yeah, so I got there at like the tail end of Destiny's Child. I think there was like one or two songs that I worked of Destiny's Child, but then it was really as Beyonce was switched, you know, transitioning to her own solo oh. career. Um, But, you know, those, those projects were amazing for me, especially as such a young person. You just learn so much. You learn from those artists. You learn, you know, her dad, Matthew, was an incredible businessman um, that I learned, you know, a lot from. There's a lot of different avenues you learn early on about management and the artists and the label and how it all works together. And you're doing the traveling and you're kind of learning how to do that and how to be professional in a situation where you'd be really excited, like the Billy Joel situation, like, I was not, you know, I was as professional as I could be as a 19-year-old kid, but, yeah. you know, you learn a lot from that experience. So even now, if there's an artist, sometimes the artist is just so big and the experience is so big that it kind of gets you. Mm -hmm. But even with some pretty big artists, you try to really be as professional as you can because that's what's, what's expected of you and you're in the business. And so you learn a lot in different ways. You learn how to work the projects and how the major labels set up music and how they interact with different clients and relationships. Um, So I guess the long answer to your question is there, there, there's quite a few, but um, yeah. but it was great, you know, really good experience. Yeah. What, what about now? I see that you will work with you have a independent radio promotion company, right? And you yeah. get to work with a different artists from years before and now uh, artists that I'm coming out now. I see yeah. that you, I, I see that in between your clients you have a Panic at the Disco, right? Yeah, I remember them. I uh, had a question about Panica de Disco. I remember them from their early years with being the emo style and everything. Yeah. Um, and then they changed all the, they made a transition on their, on their look and their style to, to, to get like in the, in the new trends. And actually one of their biggest, the biggest uh, songs that's been the most streamed song that they have is High Folks from, from the latest album, I think, right? Yeah, it, they find like they find it like really hard to make a transition on the, in their style, like trying to get into the new trends. So, 
Again, a great question. Um, I'll be completely honest and transparent with you that uh, without just giving you some answer. So Panic at the Disco is not a band that we, I don't interact with Panic at the Disco as much as, you know, a lot of other people that we work with do. So I guess to back up, you know, at the beginning of your question, we have a, a company now, which is a management company, the hybrid of a management company and a label services company. So our really good friends at Crush uh, Management and Crush Music, you know, obviously work with Panic at the Disco. And then our good friends at Electra Records um, work their music. So we have different deals as part of our like label services division. We work with a lot of different major labels and independent labels now. So that was a deal that we, you know, we worked with Electra Records. They were really obviously the primary company that broke Panic at the Disco, but we supported their staff and we worked their music to our clients and our relationships at different radio stations, um, which High Hopes obviously was one of the biggest records of their career and incredible. But, you know, I don't want to start speaking about like how they transitioned their music and everything. I did, you know, I don't, I don't want to overstep, but um, certainly an incredible band. And, you know, to kind of go back to your point, there's a lot of different, deals and thing you know relationships that we have now with independent artists you know major artists that we work with directly clients that we manage labels that we have relationships and deals with so this last phase of my company of my career i started my own company and i've been able to kind of take everything that i've learned and done from the major labels from the independent labels and kind of make my own company to do whatever deals or you know partnerships that we want to do Talk about artist services because you use that phrase. Explain what artist services is. Sure. So um, artist services is really all of the different departments that you would get at a major label or an independent, you know, a bigger independent label. So it includes radio promotion, um, marketing, digital media, um, A&R services, advertising, publicity, really most of the major components that if you were sitting down with a major label, if you sat around that table and all the different departments came in, we offer really all those services a la carte to our clients um, that way. Because there's a lot of artists now with the way the business has changed that are either really established artists that either don't have a label or don't want a traditional label and just want to kind of have the control and pick in the own pieces that they really need and that they want to you know, work with. So, you know, I realized that pretty early on, the company started truly as a management company because I'd been on the record label side for so long that I was really interested in management. But um, there was a first band that I signed that actually did really well at, at a radio, Top 40 Radio, this band Tryon. Um, we got on the pop chart. It was like the only independent band on the pop chart at the time. And I was really proud of that. But I, from that, I got a lot of interest from labels and artists saying, hey, could you do radio promotion? Can you do you know, marketing? Can you give us some of those opportunities that you brought to them? And I realized if I turned everything down, like if I only focused on just managing artists, I'd be turning away a lot of things that people seem to really need. So I hired a couple of people that I trusted that I've worked with in the past, and we started growing out a, a label services a division of the company. What about um, this situation with a pandemic? How does this affected you in any way? Yeah, it's definitely affected us a lot. I mean, it's affected everyone in, in so many different ways. I mean, it's affected us on a personal level and certainly from a business perspective, it's hard to even know where to start. I mean, you know, all of our clients, I guess immediately the obvious thing is all the live shows 
were canceled. So everything just immediately was canceled that we had planned. And a lot of these things, you know, it takes us six months, sometimes longer to plan a lot of these shows and events and things that are coming. You know, we have stuff that we had planned a year in advance in some of these bigger festivals and things we've been working on. So immediately it's a lot of work that, you know, kind of is not happening. A lot of business for those artists that, you know, my heart really goes out mostly to the touring artists. And we have a few of them that really make most, if not all of their money on playing live shows. Um, so, you know, that income had gone away from them. And then a good percentage of that income had gone away from us because part of our business model is making commission off of managing clients and off of shows and that sort of thing. Um, so I guess the, the easy answer is like the live shows have been canceled and they've been canceled for, you know, a while now. We don't have anything even rescheduled yet. We had a couple of things, yeah, that wanted to reschedule towards like the fall, but I don't know if even those things are going to happen. Um, but I guess the, the answer would be live shows definitely have been impacted. Um, you know, we've moved everything to online. So we just last night, we did a, a really good show with this company, Road Nation, um, which is incredible. It was our first one. We're going to do more. They have a, a platform to showcase artists and their music um, that they were really professional. We had 15,000 people tuning in at, at one point to watch some of our artists perform. So I guess it's created a lot of, you know, content and things and ways to get your music out to people online. So that's a positive, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, there's so many different ways that it's, it's been impacted and affected. People also are, don't know exactly what to do. They don't know if they should release more music right now or if they should wait to release music. I mean, our mindset is, you know, you want to be respectful, especially also what's been happening with a lot of the protests and, and that movement. Like, you know, you want to be respectful. You want to support those people and those things, but you also want to, continue to make music and put out music and you know our livelihood and the livelihood of our artists which we feel a real responsibility to depends on making money off of the things that we're doing so it's been a real balancing act as far as being aggressive and you know making sure you're moving everything forward but being uh considerate enough and careful enough not to offend anyone or step out of line or you know do things the right way but uh yeah it's presented a lot of challenges for sure I've seen a bunch of those um, Road Nation shows promoted through A2I, yeah, A2IM, as well as uh, Music Biz Association. When you're, what, which artists of yours uh, did a Road Nation thing in? Kind of explain Road Nation, uh, was that, uh, did they get paid for that or, or, or what? They didn't get paid for it, but what you can do, it, first of all, it's, it's, it was a great platform. And we did, we did have, at one point, there was 15,000 people watching our artists play which you look at that, you know, that's a lot of people. If you were playing in a room of 15,000 people, you know, it'd be hard to sell that room out. So, you know, you look at it as a marketing tool and a marketing opportunity to promote your music and artists. There's also, there was a great opportunity to sell merchandise and sell experiences, fan experiences, which, um, you know, we were able to do a good amount of. So it worked out pretty well that way, but yeah, we, we certainly don't get paid for it, um, you know, to do the actual show. But it was great. We had uh, one of our artists, Paul Lauren, who played, who's a huge, you know, great touring artist. He's one who's really been impacted by the, um, you know, by the pandemic of not being able to play shows. And he was incredible. And then this other band, We Three, um, which is a really great band that we're working right now to radio, did it. Um, they have a great following that tuned in. So, you know, those platforms have been really, really good for us. I mean, we've tried to tap into as many as we possibly can 
to give our artists, you know, continued opportunity to get in front of people. And, you know, there's, it's no substitute for playing a live show and making that money and really connecting with people, but it's, it's what we can do right now. We're doing our best to kind of create those opportunities where we can. You mentioned they could sell fan experiences. What kind of experiences? So one was having coffee with the band. Um, another one was a, I think it was a, a session, like a writing session, kind of breaking down the song and telling the fans how you wrote that song. You know, there have been, a, those are the two that I remember that people kind of went for last night, but there's been a lot of it. We've been tr- trying to be pretty creative, which what, what we're offering people, not just last night, but also, you know, online in general experiences with people. We've been having artists uh, do Zooms with fans, you know, working with radio stations to say, hey, is there a super fan? Do you want us to set up a time to Zoom with that super fan or FaceTime that super fan? You know, we're doing everything we can to try to stay connected at a time where everyone's kind of been locked at home. So, you know, it's, it's tricky, but you try to be as creative as you can. Well, that's good. It's a, it's a really good way to feel, like, very close to the artist, like, thinking about me being a fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's it's good in that level. I mean, it, it's created a lot of access. I've had these conversations with artists and different companies. It's created a lot of access, which is cool for fans. Like, you know, one of our artists performed in his bedroom the other night, and it was on an Instagram Live. It's, you know, you would have never saw his bedroom if this hadn't happened. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, at someone's house, you know, what they're doing in their backyard. I mean, there's a lot of access that you probably wouldn't have had before that you now have just by the nature of what has been happening in the world, which, you know, it's good. It, it is good for fans for sure. It's just a balance of being able to monetize a lot of those things for the artists and for the business has been the real trick because, you know, doing an Instagram live, for example, or a Facebook live could be really good promotion, but you know, there's no substitute for making the money that you would make at a show. You just, there's no way to really monetize that for us. So That, that really is, is the trick. But as far as marketing and promotion, it's created a lot of great marketing and promotion opportunities for sure. Yeah, it's a good way to keep the fans close. And these times when you're not giving a show that's going on tour and where artists could be like just staying away from the business, but it's a good way to keep in touch with the fans. Yeah, exactly. Javier, you're a student? You're yeah, a student. I'm a student. I'm a student. Awesome. Yeah. How long, how long management. Are you music management? Yes. Awesome. And I'm exactly in the, in the position where I'm starting to look for my first uh, internship because I'm about to finish my, my, my MBA. So yeah. that's, why, that's why my first question was about your beginning. Yeah. That you had your first day as an intern. That, that was a really good memory. Yeah. yeah. I hope I get the chance to get a like a a big star like you. <laughs> Man, well, I got I I've I attribute it to hard work and also a lot of luck along the way, which is really the combination. I mean, you have to work really hard, which is just kind of how I was raised throughout my life. Um, so to put yourself in a position to to connect on something, whether that's an internship, a job opportunity. Uh, you know, whatever it is, you, you want to work really hard to do everything you can and prepare. And, you know, and then when you get that big break, kind of like in sports too, they tell you to always be ready. Like you want to train, like you're going to get that shot. And when you get that shot, you know, early on at Columbia, I was really, you know, we skipped over a lot of that, but I was given a lot of tasks, like, you know, difficult tasks early on that people didn't really expect too much of because 
you know, when a new crop of interns come in, you don't really know who's with it and who's not and what the story is. And, you know, I really outshined, honestly, a lot of, a lot of people and made a name for myself and was the person that could get things done and stayed, you know, I would stay until eight, nine o'clock at night, sometimes finishing things that were asked of me and getting in the next morning early before anyone else could get in. And, you know, when it came time where there was an opening, I was the first person that they called to say, Hey, do you want to come in and interview for this job? So, you know, I then went in and interviewed for the job, which is a real process. And they told me I was competing against, you know, career people in the business as also people that were graduating school, but I had history there and I had already kind of proven myself in a way and they gave me a shot. And, you know, that was lucky, you know, I was competing. It was a big job at, at the time at Columbia records, which is a very competitive company, but I got lucky and I got my break, but I got lucky because of the work that I put in. So I guess I would just say, you know, I, I definitely think internships are a great way to go. I mean, the business obviously has changed a lot as we talked about through the years, but doing as many internships as you can, meeting as many people as you can, you know, taking on as much as you can without obviously wearing yourself out, which is a very thin line, but, um, you know, meeting those people and trying to get as much experience and opportunity as you can, you never know, you know, someone will call you a year later, two years later that remembers you and say, Hey, I have an opportunity. And that's, it's happened to me a lot, especially as I've started my new business. I've had people that I haven't talked to in years and say, Hey, we see what you're doing. Would you work with us? And that's kind of a tribute to yourself and how hard you work, but you know, it's also really good to help grow your career and your business, you know? Then it's not only about luck, but about hard work. Oh, yeah. And being nice to the people you work with in the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's mostly that. I mean, you need a little luck for anything in life, but, you know, it's mostly the hard work. It's mostly yeah. the preparation and the studying and the, you know, you know it, it's definitely mostly, I would say that, and, you know, a little bit of luck. Yeah. Let's get into uh, independent radio. Because you were working for major labels in radio promotion. And maybe if you could get into what you did when you worked at major labels in radio promotion, and then being on your own independent radio promotion, what the differences are and how you're doing that and the sort of success ratio and the type of artists with whom you are working. So that also has changed a lot, radio promotion, the way records are worked. Um, I guess the most obvious thing is, you know, being in a major label you have, you know, that big name behind you, you have a, a big staff behind you, and you have, you know, usually a sizable budget that you're using to promote and market music. Um, on the independent side, you usually have a smaller budget, you have way less staff, and you have really little to no leverage, um, you know, and, and name value. So it, it's very different, and it's very difficult. Um, the On the major label side, interesting enough, I guess, you know, I had a smaller role and as I grew in my career and the artists got more developing in a way, I kind of got a bigger role. So now, you know, for example, I'm the number one person at a company that promotes developing artists at Columbia. I was, you know, a lower level person when I started at, at a company that was promoting really superstar artists, you know, for the most part, some developing, but, um, you know, that kind of is a, is a dynamic that changes. Um, it's hard. I mean, really, the, the, the artists and the, uh, the um, successes that I really think about the most and that I really kind of am most proud of in a way are the ones that are probably more recent, the, the independent artists that no one's ever heard of before. You know, your Andy Grammers of the world, your We the Kings, um, and Secondhand Serenade was my first 
national project that I can say I really truly broke on my own. Um, you know, those that I really had more ownership over, I feel really connected to in a lot of ways. And you have to work a lot harder. You, like we just talked about, you have to outwork your competition. So, you know, I was known at the time as someone who would wake up at, you know, four in the morning, drive to a radio station for two hours, be on a morning show with an artist, get back in the car, drive to the next city two or three hours away, do a lunch, you know, drive to the next city two or three hours away, do a dinner, drive to the next city. I mean, you know, there were times that I would do five, six, seven, eight cities a day sometimes in lots of places in the country with different artists. So you develop a name for yourself and, you know, people respect that. Again, the, the work ethic, when you're hitting seven or eight cities a day and your artist is on live on the air in all those different cities in one day, and then you sleep three hours and you do it again tomorrow, and you do that for a couple of weeks, you know, you cover a lot of the country and you make a name for yourself and you make a name for your artists and people are willing to give you the benefit of the doubt because of how hard you're working. Now, obviously the music has to be really good and really strong, which is, you know, important, but you know, those are the ways that we kind of like separated ourselves from some of the other competitors. We worked harder. We had a smaller staff, so we were like forced to do that, but I loved it. You know, I, I loved being in all these different cities. I was in, I've been in almost every state and every city in the country. You know, it's, it's a really cool experience and it's a good way to kind of separate yourselves from the pack a little bit, you know? I would say that's the difference. It's now it's like working harder, covering more ground with fewer people is probably the, is the overall difference. And in, and in the old days, if I'm signed to Columbia Records or I'm signed Universal Motown, I know you were there for a while. Um, I'm an artist and it's coming out, you know, it's a recoupable expense. You know, it's, they're employed by the record company. In this case, I'm an indie artist, for example, I can hire you if I want to do independent radio promotion for me. There's a cost to that. You don't have to break out what your costs are or anything. Right. But you, can you kind of explain um, maybe what your your pitch would be? And I hate to say pitch as if you're selling a commodity, but you're, it's a service and you yeah. provide value to artists. Can you talk about that and how that works and helps an unsigned artist's career? Sure. So um, that's a good question. I mean, so you, if we were working as a radio promotion team and you're not signed to a label and we don't have a, you know, a record deal with you, what you, it would be is you own your master and you have complete control over your music, what you want to do with it, and your team. So you know, at a record label, sometimes they make a lot of the decisions and there's a deal that you have with the label. And you know, with us, it's really a, a hired service from a month-to-month basis. Usually there's a, you know, a term that we set. Um, but you hire us from month to month and, you know, it's a veteran group of people who have experienced breaking, like we just said, major artists, independent artists have a lot of different experience in a lot of different ways. So our team is as competitive, you know, as a lot of these other companies, we have fewer people, but certainly we have the knowledge and the information and the relationships to, to break your artists and a track record to, you know, to break your band and a track record to break your band and your music which we can point to, but you have all the control. I mean, you have the master. If the song blows up, if, if you have a number one record, you know, all that money off of streaming and sales and sync opportunities and, you know, that, that sort of thing goes directly to you. We don't take a percentage of that. We're getting paid a fee to do the work for you. We represent you and, and that's pretty much the relationship rather than taking, you know, a percentage of your music for X amount of years and then a sunset clause for X amount of years. It's, you know, the control is really for you. And if, if we hit it big, that's, you know, it could be really beneficial for the artists and for the, for the band. 
moving on to the artist management side of you, um, what makes, what attracts you and makes you want to take somebody on? That's a good question too. So, you know, I, I learned over the years, taking on management clients, you have to really believe in the artist. You have to really love the music and you have to really see it as a long-term investment because again, you can get lucky on something and you can hit something big quickly. But for the most part, the management work for us is, you know, an investment now for later. So we don't make a large percentage of our, you know, revenue off of the back end management things that we're bringing in. Um, so we look for artists that can be touring artists. You know, that, that's a lot of um, a big part of it for us. This artist, Paul Lauren, that I mentioned, he's incredible live. He plays, I don't know, it's like five or six different in- instruments. He's been, he taught himself how to play the piano when he was three years old. He writes his own music. He's, you know, incredibly wonderful to work with. He'll do anything we ask him to do. He completely trusts us. So that relationship for us really has to be a very close relationship where, you know, there's a lot of trust there. There's, you know, we both see a long-term vision. We're both on the same page. You know, it, it's a longer term, it's a longer term plan for us. So I guess the short answer is we look for quality artists of music that, you know, we believe in, that we feel that everyone will love, that's marketable, but we're not in it as some of these radio hits to kind of work, see if we can get a big hit in the next couple of months and then move on to the next, you know, track or, or record. It's really more of a long-term artist development plan over many, many years than it is, you know, a quicker, a quicker turnaround. I think that's the whole thing about artist management is for anybody to go in and think it's like a get rich quick. Right. No, no. Anywhere near that. And that's why we've learned to take on fewer, you know, we're, we want to take on fewer clients because we want to devote a lot of time to, to those individual artists and their careers. So, you know, it's, it's hard. You, there, you want to work with everyone, but you really, you try to narrow it down to the people you feel like either you really vibe with, or there's people, there's music that you really love or a combination of, you know, of those things. If there's long-term potential, those are the people that you really want to be involved with in my opinion. Yeah. So just in uh, a shake. Contracts. Yeah. yeah. So we do have contracts. Um, you know, each of them are different. So our management deals are structured more like a traditional management deal um, where we make, you know, a percentage off the back end of, of uh, the revenue. The contracts that we have with our independent artists or on the label services side are different. Usually it's for a term agreement. Again, like I just kind of spoke about, it's not really based on collecting back end revenue. It's more of a you know, a monthly fee per, uh, you know, per month over a certain term. Um, you know, sometimes there's bonuses worked in there. If, you know, a record goes to a certain place on the chart or there's certain sales that we hit. Um, but for the most part, those are the real two differences between the, the two. Can you also tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, uh, what, what do you do when you have free time? What's the favorite music you like to hear or mix when you, when you are in, doing the mixing stuff, you know? Yeah. That's how it started. Yeah. Um, sure. I I don't have a, a lot of free time these days, to be completely honest. I We have two little kids, and we're expecting a, a third one, so that's... that's uh, Thank you. Um, and, but, and I work, honestly, like most people, most of the day. So 
there's little free time, but the good news is I love music and it's always been a passion of mine. So, you know, I feel like a lot of times I just love what I do. I mean, there are days where you're exhausted. There are days where it feels more like work, but you know, for the most part, it's really exciting what we do. And, and you know, a lot of my time is spent doing something music related. Um, you know, going to shows I love, again, it's like part of work, but I love going to live shows and having that live experience. Um, you know, I run, I try to get up early and run in the morning. So just to kind of clear my head and get ready for the day. Um, so I try to do that as often as I can. What else do I like to do? Hey, Dan, question for you. When you run, yeah. um, do you listen to music or podcasts or do you not listen to anything and you just run? Good question. So I, I listen to music. I can't do the podcast. I've tried. I can't do podcasts while I run, really. It doesn't, I can do it in the car. I love it in the car, but I can't do it while I run. I kind of need the ups and downs of different songs. Is that yes. like you? That's right. uh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I run. I have to have music when I run. I walk the dog and drive. I listen to podcasts. Yeah. Right. My brother is a much bigger runner than me. He's, he's a 10 mile guy. Wow. Um, he listens to nothing. He just really, really. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't do that. I'd be oh, yeah. bored. I, I look forward to it. Cause I get to just listen to music for 45 minutes, you know, right. 50 minutes. My brother just going out there for an hour and a half, not listening to anything. I can't do it, but That's amazing. I need some motivation with music. Right. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. I, it's the same way. I, I listen to I use it as a time to listen to a lot of music that I need to listen to for work, which is cool. You know, I kind of feel like I'm being productive in that way. Other other times, you know, it's just a playlist of cool, you know, workout music or, you know, up-tempo music to kind of get me through it. But yeah, that's amazing if you can do that without listening to anything. I don't know how, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell him you said that. He's going to hear your footsteps. I've tried it, but like you just hear your footsteps and you're kind of like, it's harder to do I don't know. It feels like it's taking way longer for me for some reason, you know? Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I remember doing a race four or five years ago and I was told you weren't allowed to bring any headphones or anything. So I, I did this. It was a uh, 10K. And um, the coolest part, the only cool part of this 10K was at the very beginning when you start running and all you heard were these footsteps. Yeah, yeah. Pavement and then just hundreds and hundreds of foot. And that was kind of cool. Yeah. But, um, because we couldn't play music, it was killing me because we're just running this race. And all I could do is think, when will this be over? When will this be over? Right. And now it's yes. to distract yes. me. That's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. I guess it's, it's a different mindset. I mean, you got to train your brain to not really, I don't know, I guess you just tune out and start thinking about, I mean, 10 miles, that can take what? I mean, that, that can take a long time to run 10 miles. Well, it was a 10K. A oh, 10K, 10K. Yeah, like six miles. I've done 10K before. I've done it. And we've Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very hard because when it's with obstacles, you're not, like you said, you're not allowed to bring the earphones or anything like that because you have to get into the water or jump the, or, right. or climbing. So you just have to focus on not, not dying. <laughs> <laughs> Getting <through. laughs> yeah, yeah, That's right. Just survive. Yeah, survive. In this, uh, in this precarious time, and it's, Time. What are you excited about in the business? What am I excited about in the business? In the business, yeah. Um, I'm certainly excited for live music to come back. Um, I'm excited to see 
all the music that comes out of this experience. So music that people have been home writing. Um, we have an artist today, Paul, who I mentioned a couple of times. He released a song that he wrote when this all started called We'll Be Together Again, um, which is a really great, beautiful song about kind of the experience of what's been going on. Um, so I'm interested to kind of see, like any other time, the art that comes out of this challenging time for a lot of people. And I'm, I'm optimistic, you know, I'm optimistic that, you know, we'll continue to grow and push forward and learn from the experience. I mean, you know, we've had, we've taken a step back. I mean, we've, we've been very fortunate in a lot of ways because, you know, we have a lot of different parts of our business, but, you know, I've really thought a lot about how to diversify even more. So God forbid something like this or something different that you can't imagine is going to happen again, that, you know, your revenue streams are more than just a couple of different ways that you're making, you know, all these different creative ways that you can bring in money to sustain an income and help your artists. I mean, I've seen a lot of our artists have, like I said, who really make most of their money on touring. It's just incredible. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm excited for, yeah, I'm excited for things to get a little bit more back to normal. You know, we, we really miss that, but I'm also excited to see how we can evolve as a company and hopefully as a, as a business from, from everything that's been going on. I mean, just to speak about the, um, you know, a lot of the, the protests and everything that's been going on over the last few weeks. I mean, you see a lot of these major companies stepping up, um, you know, to do different initiatives and to kind of change a lot of their, their ways and their language. And, you know, it's interesting. It's a time of evolution for a lot of companies and, and people. And, you know, I'm excited to see the good that comes out of a very difficult year for a lot of people. Javier, you have any uh, final thoughts? After all of this uh, that's been going on this year, it comes with a, like a new era and it gives like inspiration for artists and use this time to talk about what's happening and use their, mu their music as a platform to talk about it. So maybe we will see a lot of different new things coming in the future and it's exciting to 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 see what's go, what's gonna what's gonna happen next i'm with you yeah definitely right well good well dan pearson thank you so much yeah. for hanging with us and appearing on our wonderful radio show and podcast awesome i really appreciate you guys having me this has been really enjoyable and and i appreciate you having me on and, and giving me an opportunity to to speak with you really appreciate definitely it. all right so javier thank you very much Dan, yeah. thank you very much. Thank you guys so much. It was nice yeah. meeting you. Yeah, you too. Have a great weekend. Yes, you guys too. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Javier, you did a great job bringing Dan on to the Music Biz 101 and More radio show. So thank you. Dr. Esteban, thank you very much for being here on this incredible radio show today. And uh, so at the end of every show, we do not say hello. At the end of every show, you know what we say, Javier? We say, adios! Miles away, heading over here so you can sneak away into my emotions, hoping I could stay somewhat in control. Of
bed again Wow, I didn't notice We were moving faster than just friends Losing control of the situation You losing hope, I'm losing patience 